Hi, I'm Pinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello, hello, welcome back. This is the second half of season five. We are raring to yes. go. Let's go. Let's do this because this one is a, yeah, it's, it's one to get your teeth stuck into. Let's start off with our African Pride, where this week it goes to Bobby Kolade, who moved to Uganda after 13 years in the European fashion industry. He's fed up with Africa being used as a waste disposal system for donated clothes, and he's now refashioning these castaway items into unique designs, returning them quite literally back to sender. Bless, I love a bit of upcycling. And where better um, than to send it back? Mm-hmm. And as a child, Bobby bought used clothing at Uganda's biggest market, or we know in Kampala, but has since learned about the damage that this secondhand trade is doing to the environment. So 70% of clothes donated globally actually end up on the African continent for reselling. So it's not actually necessarily going to the cause that people who donate think it's going to. And as a result, local textile industries also suffer because they can't compete with the price of used clothing. Yeah. So this project back to sender is, in Colliday's words, a reactionary design to the overconsumption of the global north and the role Africa plays as a very effective waste disposal system for people's clothes. Mm, I love this. There's like a element of like, I don't know, just imagine someone, a top that they bought for like five pounds, that ending up in these big markets in Uganda, all of a sudden he's just like, just yeah, faded. updated <laughs> and then you're having to pay for it. I love it. No, it's so good. And I've actually put the, uh, we put the episode show notes, we'll have a link to the store so you can check out some of the outfits. And oh my gosh, it's online. <gasps> oh, it is online. It is yes. online. So make, yes, make sure you check it out in the episode description. Perfect. So where are we heading to? What are we doing? We're in oil. <laughs> we are, yes, we are in the oil at the moment. We're in the oil. <laughs> we're, in, we're in the wells. Um, so this week we are looking at an interesting theme that thanks to everyone who gave their suggestions on Instagram. We do listen and here we go. This is around the oil industry and how it's affected and continues to affect the African continent. As a result of unethical practices by some or most, if I'm really being honest, oil multinational corporations have seen social movements against them by host communities and human rights groups. So this again ties back to the whole premise of African countries being used as a means of extracting wealth. And this issue is primarily around the way that these multinational companies have left host communities lacking in infrastructure, fertile land and clean water because of the effects of exploratory activities without due compensation for any damage that's been caused. So the African continent contains five of the top 30 oil producing nations. Yes. A- any, any guesses as to... Uh... Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nigeria. Niger- I do love Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> the mouthpiece of the continent. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, Nigeria, of course, um, is, is the top uh, producer along with Angola, Algeria, Egypt, and Libya, and recommend that you go back to our Gaddafi episode way back when to hear about how Libya harnessed their power as a new oil-producing nation. 
So these countries produce 8 million barrels of oil a day. A day? Which is nuts. And accounts for 85% of the continent's oil reserves. By the sounds of it, natural resources should be providing a strong base for sustainable development in these nations. The economic gains should be tangible and accessible to those living there. However, the cost of natural resources management remains high due to a lack of infrastructure, over-dependence on foreign exports and managerial incompetence and corruption, which has stalled economic growth and development. Underdevelopment as a consequence of oil exploration could also be because of a monoculture approach to the affected country's economy. So an example of this is in between 2006 and 2015, oil accounted for 97% of Angola's export and 45% of its gross domestic product. So that causes problems because especially if the price of oil goes up or down, it can really have a huge effect on the country's economy, which may already be a little more fragile compared to the rest of the powerhouses that we know about. Yeah, and it's such a huge dependence on it. Do you know what I mean? 97%? Yeah. Yeah. What's the 3%? Diversify your assets. You know what the crypto bros say. All about that. All about that. Let's go back to 1956. This was the year where the first commercial quantities of oil were found by Shell Petroleum in Bayelsa State within the Niger Delta in Nigeria. This region officially comprises of nine states. You have Delta, Rivers, Bayelsa, Cross River, Aqua Ibom, Edo, Imo, Abia and Ondo. We'll focus on examples within the Niger Delta as it's the most well documented in terms of oil exploration and exploitation. Since 2000, there have been 275 oil fields found in West Africa alone. But why has the region failed to reap the benefits? In Nigeria, the government is set up in such a way that it has complete control over property rights. This means they can seize any landed property. Landed property is property that gains an income despite the owner not doing any work on the state. The 1969 Petroleum Act enables the system that sees wealth gained from crude oil exploration in Nigeria siphoned by just 1% of the population. Oil multinationals and the Nigerian government dominate the oil, with state and host communities relegated to the background in decision-making. The 1978 Land Use Act in Nigeria meant that land where oil is found comes under state control, without compensation to communities or private owners. We see a juxtaposition between the country being the top crude oil producer in Africa, yet poverty still abounding as a result of environmental degradation. This mismanagement of resources and revenue sees public funds given to individuals and awards of oil contracts, licensing and production given to government mates. Does that that ring a bell? Um. (laughs) It's literally taken from like one context into the other. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Copy and paste of just the same ideas. The apple doesn't fall far from the colonial tree. That's just so uh, true. So true. just, Just give it to my mates. What? Are your mates actually interested in oil? Yeah, just or met you yesterday, it's fine. Even know how to make, how to kind of utilise it to benefit everybody else? No, but they're no, very good at spending no. money, so hey. That's what it's all about. These actions have led to impaired economic growth, civil war, and of course, check out our first ever episode for the full story, and insecurity. There is lots of concern around Nigeria's inability to achieve an enviable height of success in development despite its rich natural resources and 
After all, oil is way in demand as the West kryptonite. During the 1970s, an oil boom did begin with Nigeria arguably having a better quality of life then than now. However, politicians have channeled oil profits to groups which have served political interests. The Land Use Act mentioned previously, which limited funding to host communities, has spurred the growth in an illegal tapping of gas pipelines where fuel is then sold for individual gain. This is quite a dangerous move because explosions take place quite frequently. Those living in the host community are affected by two factors. Multinationals who are solely about extraction and exploitation. What more do you expect? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> they are, Shell has never given me a job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't want to be part of it. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I, I'm not looking. I'm, I'm not looking. Not looking the, the job alerts are not on. Are not on. <laughs> yeah. And government misappropriation of funds and corruption. Those living in the Niger Delta are lacking insufficient drinking water as oil spills are a threat to aquatic life. Any oil runoff makes the land infertile. The impact of multinational oil extraction processes even eroded traditional practices. Previously, when ringing in the new year within the Niger Delta, the community would undergo festive bathing as it's believed to symbolise prosperity for the new year. However, oil spills have meant this practice is no longer conducive. This waste has also affected aquatic life, with Nile tilapia and rainbow trout, a few of the species adversely reduced as a result. These corporate activities stemming from multinational oil corporations and their unethical practices have led to social movements in protest by host communities, human rights organisations and NGOs. This is such an interesting kind of point and looking at the impact these multinational companies have because I'm just thinking about the episode we've just done around the environment and just looking at how literally these multinational companies don't care. And there's a lot of kind of nice documentaries about this on YouTube um, that I did as part of the research. They just don't care. They'll come in, destroy it, sign a deal with the government. And in a sense, within that deal, yes, the government is accountable, but also these multinational companies kind of feel like it doesn't they're no they're longer accountable yeah. yeah and they're no longer really they're kind of seeing themselves as no longer accountable because hey the government signed us off so it is okay even though really you know they're having to destroy huge communities who are then not given like you know okay we've just destroyed your land and how you make your livelihood there is no option b it's like well hey the government's agreed there's on no it. compensation there's no, no oh let's train you how to process the oil Maybe you can have some kind upscale, of you know, booming economy, yeah. upscale, nothing. It's another form of colonization, really. The fact that um, a tradition, a cultural tradition amongst those in Niger Delta doing the festive bathing are now no longer able to do that because mm-hmm. you've literally killed off just aquatic wildlife and just yeah. the water, the very water that you may drink or bathe in is just gone. You can't even do that anymore. So imagine having to alter beliefs just because you know, a foreign influence has just come along. Mm-hmm. Is it not just another problem of, of colonisation? And I think, to add to that, one of the things that it just reminded me of is just this double standard that there seemed to be in terms of what is mm. okay to, you know, do within the African continent would not be okay in Western countries. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And That's I think exactly what we that, said with Hazel, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah there's yeah. just this massive double standard and I don't know why these companies can't see that and can't say actually guys if we were literally going to do this in manchester or or london or berlin would literally have an uproar 
Yeah. And it would not, you know, it would be taken to the courts and everything. Just because you can get away with it in another continent does not make it right. A hundred percent. That just reminded me of this thing called fracking. I still have no idea what it is. But a lot of people. <laughs> oh yeah, I need to learn. Fr- I need to understand more about fracking because I same. I'm exactly. I'm, I'm glad you said the word because <laughs> I was avoiding it. There were a lot of protests, and it's well within their rights, you know. But the mm. fact that, as well, I guess it's like Hazel's point. Some of these communities just have no. They don't know what's going on. Um, whereas they daren't try it in countries like the UK because look at all this uproar about fracking. For example, yeah, no, even I, agree. I don't know what it is. I, I will Google. I, I will Google. <laughs> Try to straight, Google it now. Straight after this, I will yeah. Google what is fracking and why should it annoy me. One of the most impactful protests within the Niger Delta against the actions of Shell Petroleum came from the Ogoni Nine, with Ken Sawawiwa an author and activist being part of this group. And by the way, I'm going to just do a little plug because I loved the way that Story Story, a podcast by Lanere Adaremi, captured the story of the Ogoni Nine. And it's definitely worth listening to. And we'll also put that in the episode show notes because that kind of tells the story in all its fullness. Sarah Wewa became the president of the Movement for the Survival of the Ogoni People, known as MOSOP an organisation founded in 1990 in response to multinational oil companies taking over their land and causing extreme environmental degradation. The Ogoni people are an ethnic group within Nigeria. Sarawiwa called this an ecological war. And in an interview with the UK's Channel 4 in 1995, he said, The Ogoni country has become completely destroyed by the search for oil. Oil blowouts, spillages, oil slicks and general pollution accompany the search for oil. Oil companies have fled gas in Nigeria for the last 33 years, causing acid rain. What used to be called the breadbasket of the delta has now become totally infertile. All one sees and feels around is death. Environmental degradation has been a lethal weapon in the war against the indigenous Ogoni people. And I just think in this point, how does a community end up find itself in a way or even capable to then fight such a big corporation? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Just, oh. Anyways. Sarah Wewa went on to lead a peaceful campaign against this environmental degradation of the Ogoni region as a result of these companies, primarily Shell. He also spoke out against corruption within the Nigerian government, particularly as it was partly complicit in the region's pain. Allegedly, the Nigerian government was reluctant to enforce the appropriate environmental regulations on multinational oil companies operating in the area. This didn't sit well with Abacha's dictatorship in Nigeria, and Sarawiwa, alongside other members of the Ogoni Nine, were executed on November 10, 1995, after a military tribunal found them guilty of killing four pro-government Ogoni chiefs. These executions resulted in outrage from the international community, and Nigeria was suspended from the Commonwealth from November 11th, 1995 to May 29th, 1999. There were calls for sanctions, but to no one's surprise, Britain resisted calls from Nelson Mandela to impose oil and other sanctions on Nigeria. It might have been something to do with Britain's £5 billion investment within Nigeria's oil industry, but we can't be too sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was something else. It must be something else. Yeah, it had nothing to do with it at all. In 2009, Shell agreed to pay $15.5 million, that's £9.6 million, and that's in old money too because inflation is a bit of a madness right now, in an out-of-court settlement of which it was accused of collaborating in false evidence leading to the execution of Ken Sawariwa and eight others of the Ogoni Nine. Shell has also faced numerous lawsuits related to environmental damage. 
On January 29, 2021, a historic ruling against the oil giant saw the Court of Appeal in The Hague rule in favour of four Nigerian farmers in an oil spill case first filed in 2008. The court ordered Shell to compensate for oil spills in two villages over 13 years ago and must now build warning systems to detect future leaks. The Niger Delta Scoping Report estimates that within the last 50 years, between 9 and 30 million barrels of oil have been spilled in the region. What? This carelessness, it just kind of goes to show it could have been prevented. And this carelessness, it just goes to show that basic uh, thinking that they have in that they just see Nigeria's oil fields as just a way of extracting. They just, I'll just extract it. It's just, it's fine. Mm. Just get the money. We don't care about the host communities. We'll even conspire false evidence to get rid of people that are shouting too loudly about it. I'm honestly just shocked by that fact. Like, a lot of things have shocked, but just, what? Yeah. And you're right, it's just seeing, like, let's just extract it. There's no sense of just humanity or seeing that that is... People live there, like, it's a community, just as yeah. your house and the city that you live in is a community. Gosh, they really love just dehumanising. I mean, how else are they going to do their job? You know, it's part of the spec, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> was, that, was that too shady? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to be not, able to get a job to show that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, what, that's what they look for in the CV. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me a time? Tell me a time where <laughs> you dehumanise. <laughs> <laughs> Really, don't, don't call us if you're... <laughs> Angola is another example of an African country suffering from the effects of oil spills. Despite Cabinda being the main oil-producing region, it remains one of the poorest parts of Angola. Commercial production of oil began in 1965, with Pentragol beginning exploration operations. Texaco and US Go for Oil wanted in on the action, beginning production in 1968. In 20... Yeah, just... They did. Why not? Three... Oh, they're doing well with the... I'll throw my hat in the ring. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Why not? Realise these people is like the modern day explorers, isn't it? Like, you know... Yeah, do you know just... what I mean? <laughs> 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 like, Portugal then decided to go and just explore in the 15th century. Okay, yeah. and take over. This is literally a repetition of that. Mm-hmm. In 2015, Angolan fishermen accused Chevron of an oil spill and demanded compensation. The spill prevented the men from catching fish for nearly two weeks. They demanded $2,000 for each of the 11 to 12 days they were unable to catch fish. That is nothing to them. Honestly. Chevron claimed they were not responsible but cleaned the spill to, in their words, demonstrate our commitment to protecting people and the environment. It's very PR, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. The impact in Cabinda has seen fisheries decline. In the 1950s, a nightly trip using 500 metres of net would fill a fishing boat. Now, trips of up to five nights is required to fill the same size boat. Oil revenues have become politicised in Angola, as compensation payments for spills from multinational oil companies are transferred to the government for distribution. But little, if any, actually reaches the affected host community. Angola's political elite is known as the Nomenclatura Petrolera, those who have become richer whilst depriving Angolans of having a slice of oil revenues. The seven richest Angolans all hold positions in government. It's got nothing to do with the oil, though, of course. No, no, of course not, of course not. (laughs) Such a strange picture, because you do also have these modern African governments colluding 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They've all... It's kind of like both parties are playing a role. It's not just these multinationals. Because at the end of the day... Yeah. It's definitely a two-party strategy. Multinationals claim they have corporate social responsibility activities. However, this remains piecemeal. These institutions have failed to engage with host communities and continue evading accountability and transparency. Gas flaring remains an issue in these countries, as the Niger Delta region is the most affected. And as a result of this, communities have seen skin diseases, cancers and respiratory diseases as a result. Of course, ending gas flaring would be easier, but the financial cost for oil companies, even though it's just you know, it's a drop in the ocean really for them, means there's a dispute between the oil companies and local authorities on who should pick up the bill. Even though it should actually be the oil companies. But mm-hmm. It's thought that using the gas for local energy needs would provide health and economic benefits for the host communities. According to Audrey Gorin, Director of Global Issues at Amnesty International, the dangerous liaison between Shell and the Nigerian government has never been properly investigated. Until the collusion between modern governments with these African countries and multinational oil companies are completely reformed, it's difficult to see this awful landscape improving. Gosh, that's a bit bleak, isn't it? How do we... (laughs) I mean, I just saw today on Twitter um, a story around Nigeria's uh, internal airlines saying that they're going to ground the flights because oil has got too expensive, like the jet fuel has got too expensive, which just made me think, like, what on earth? How can... Africa's largest oil exporter, not like how is it too expensive when the oil is literally here? It like, is literally here. It is li- like someone's probably like, I can see crazy. it, I can see it. It's over there. Like, <laughs> it's like saying wow. I've got lots of flour in my house, but bread is so expensive. Mm. It's the missing piece is that neocolonial aspect has taken those tools and put it in the hands of foreign influences that are colluding with governments. It makes it so difficult to see any return. And you're just unable to reap the benefits of your natural resources, which is a pretty bleak picture. Well, <laughs> on, that... <laughs> oh, on that extremely on that bleak note, where, <laughs> you know, thank you for listening to <laughs> this week's episode. But I mean, honestly, it just guys... had to be investigated, really, because yeah. I think we, we wanted to have a look at this, especially after looking at the Coca documentary um, mm-hmm. that was on Channel 4 a few months ago. And we just were like, it's just all these raw resources that are just continuing to be removed from the continent and nobody in the host communities, no one in the country has actually seen the benefit. Of course, in some, in this case of oil, it's only like the top 1% or those within politics that are reaping the benefits. But by and large, the underdevelopment still remains when that shouldn't really be the case at all. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's just super important for us to look at these topics and Mm. just learn more, to be honest, because there's just so much, so many shocking bits that there's just so much other of just like, yeah, of what else is out there and what else is going on. There's so much out there. This is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I do recommend you guys just send us, you know, if there's something that you see and you just want to learn more yeah. about, please share with us topics and things like that. Because sometimes we're just like, oh, wow, oil, yeah. What is going on with the oil? Please do ask yourself those questions because I think, you know, the more questions we ask, the more we can learn Mm -hmm. about actually the realities that a lot of these companies that, you know, you drive by and you're like, oh yeah, Shell or, um, can't think of another one now, but there are many. (laughs) 
I'm not really a driver, so I don't... Yeah, I don't drive. But do you know what I mean? Like, you using that every day, but actually asking the question, like, where is this coming from? What is actually the impact on the communities? And all of that are really important yeah. to ask. So please, keep asking why. And you know what? It rises with the point as well that Kahinda Andrews made in the book around how countries such as Britain's development is as a result of these type of countries under development. And this is a clear example because mm-hmm. we just take the Ubers, the buses, the planes, yeah. all of that just for granted. But actually, it's a really uncomfortable truth to realise that that all happens because this sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. particularly within African countries. Well, or they might try and invade you. So there's that too. Why does there have to be a winner and a kind of, do you know what I mean? In the sense that yeah, at the end of the day, all of the resources you're using is predominantly within one continent. I mean, it, just... it's all capitalism, hun. Like... What do you mean? <laughs> Give me... No, but I just, I know, but I think that part of me that I just find so like, I don't know, maybe it's just my inner optimism. It really does not have to be like this at all. Do you know what I mean? That's the bit that I find frustrating is uh-huh. it's a continuation of history, but just to completely traded out humans for oil and chocolate and whatever. But it's still the same thing. And I just, what worries me is years down the line, decades down the line, what's going to be the next thing? And how yeah. does that leave? Because we've seen the impact that colonization has had on the continent and now the impact of things like oil and stuff how can we actually progress i'm not going to answer it today i'm just asking questions that i don't have answers to so (laughs) we'll get a guest on to help us answer these questions yeah 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 (laughs) well thank you for listening and we are on social media at It's a Continent Pod on Instagram, at It's a Continent on Twitter. And we also have our book, which is almost here. Oh my goodness. It's, it's almost like, here. It's like two months almost to the day which ah. we've recorded, which is actually quite, quite, ooh, it's a bit of madness. Um, but yes, we put the link to pre order It's a Continent, a book. Check it out. And also our website, It's a Continent.com, which has some swanky new upgrade. It's not far, two months. I feel like it's been a little... It's been a journey. (laughs) Only way to describe it. It's just been like something that we've been pulling together and now it's going to be out and other people can read it. Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. But yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to share that with you all. Amazing. Thank you for listening, guys. And we will see you in two weeks time. Thanks for listening. Bye.